So today I'm going to begin talking about the Golden State Warriors. Um, yeah, right? We have some Golden State Warrior fans. They lost last night. Ha ha. But it's okay. It's okay. They'll still, they're still going to get to the finals. Don't worry about it. So part of why they are so good and a major reason why they're always contenders for the NBA championship and finals, like they are this year, is because of one of their star players, Steph Curry. Woo. Yeah. I, I'm not a... Yeah. Okay. We'll keep that. We'll keep it cool. We'll keep it cool. Um, if you follow basketball, you know Steph Curry plays for the Golden State Warriors and is famous for his long-distance three-point shots. Now, not just like on-the-line threes, but like deep, sick threes, where he's like a foot away from midcourt and he'll just sink it. And now Steph Curry has been attributed to changing the modern game of basketball by inspiring teams to have strong three-point strategies. He forces teams to significantly adjust their defensive strategy to cover him deep, expand the court. Now, what if 10 years ago, Steph Curry said, you know, I'm going to spend less time practicing threes because I want to get better in the paint, close to the basket, take those easier shots, hold my own. What if a coach told him, Hey, Steph, like you need to be more well-rounded to play in the, in the, I almost said WNBA, in the NBA. Like what if he practiced and practiced and practiced so he could get better at his little layups or maybe make a LeBron James fadeaway jumper? Would he get better in the paint? Yeah, he would because he's a fantastic athlete. But would he still get stuffed all the time? Yeah, he would. He would get stuffed hard by faster, stronger, better players in the paint. And uh, by trying to be somebody he isn't, he would lose. He wouldn't be the best version of himself, and his team would suffer too. Although some of Steph Curry's threes are really fun to watch, as a basketball fan, one of my favorite things about watching Steph play is the impact he has on the rest of the court. Often it's called the gravity effect. The gravity effect is when a defender feels the pull towards Steph. They gravitate towards him because they are afraid if they leave him open, he will make a three-point shot. And he will. So often defenders will double-team Steph, and they'll try to do whatever they can to prevent him from making a three-point shot. But inevitably, right, as the defenders are pulled towards him, you know what happens. It leaves his teammates wide open. So whether they come up and defend him, or he makes the three-point shot, or they come up and he gets to pass an easy throw, easy pass to a, uh, one of his friends, one of his teammates, and they make an easy shot. The major reason why the Golden State Warriors, if you're a fan or not, the major reason they're good is because they have like this gravity effect. They have a way of playing basketball in a team that equips each other. When Steph Curry does what he's meant to do, Others get to play the game they were meant to play. Now, I've been talking about basketball as if I was a great player. And just a little secret that back in the day when I played basketball a ton, I did have my own gravity effect. My gravity effect was less about pulling defenders towards me to defend me. It was more about like the gravity pulling my butt back to the bench after I got fouled out <laughs> again and again and again. I was not Steph Curry. And it's okay. I'm 5'7". I was full of passion, but I was not meant for the WNBA. I know my lane. Like Chris said, it's science. 
There's not a lot of part-time WNBA scientists out there. We are currently in a series called A Leader Worth Following. And you, my friend, you're a leader. The truth is everybody leads somebody. You lead people now, and you will continue to lead people in the future. The question is, what we're going to explore today is what kind of leader are you becoming? Now, many inexperienced leaders today believe they need to be something called a well-rounded leader. And yes, in many ways, we all need to learn to be well-rounded in general ways of leading, like being nice and listening and understanding how to have normal human interactions. But some people, I suppose in order to make themselves more marketable in an ever-changing job market, feel the need to be well-rounded in everything, all the things. The reality is, no one person is good at everything. And it's arrogant, to be honest, to think that you are. And by trying to be a little bit better at something you're bad at, you could have spent that time being really great at something you're already good at. Now, the Bible actually has something powerful to say about understanding ourselves, who God has made us to be, and how we can be leaders who know ourselves and do our best work. The Bible says that every human being was created to do amazing work in the world, and I believe that. I believe I was created to do something amazing. And I believe the more we can press into a clear understanding of how God has uniquely wired us and gifted us, we can be better. We can lead better. We will, in fact, become leaders who are worth following. Frankly, we'd be good at what we're doing, and people would take note. So I've called today's talk, Do Only What Only You Can Do. Will you pray with me? Jesus. I thank you for giving every person in this room gifts and talents that are uniquely designed to work for your glory, Jesus. I ask that you speak to people about their unique gifts. I ask you to speak to them about the gifts you have given them right now, Lord. That you would begin to highlight how they were designed to use those gifts. Would you help me speak as I should and help me hear from you, Lord? I ask that you would just come and that people would know the power that you have and the power that you can show them what you've given them, Lord. Amen. So in Romans 12, 3 through 8, you can pull up your app, or we have a couple Bibles up here, but everything will be on the screen, too, to follow along. In Romans 12, 3 through 8, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now let me give you a little context to the text we just read. 
In Romans 12, 3, the apostle says, the apostle Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with your, the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, the writer Paul the Apostle believes that Jesus' followers should respond to the grace and mercy that Jesus showed us by dying on the cross, by having a healthy perspective of ourselves and what we think of ourselves. This includes not thinking too highly about ourselves or too little about ourselves. We can be prone to exaggerate our own wisdom, competency, sincerity, and power. But we need to accept when we, what we cannot do and what we are not. And as soon as we are authentic about ourselves, we can be transparent to the people around us and they can see us clearly. In the same verse, Paul tells every one of you to think of yourself with sober judgment. When Paul writes the word sober, it's to be rigorously accurate. It's to be completely in touch with reality. Being sober means to be honest about ourselves, even when it makes sting a little bit. Now, just to be clear, Paul isn't saying that you need to think of others above yourself. No. That's also wrong because we see that he warns against thinking less of our abilities than is warranted. Paul is calling followers of Jesus to be balanced, to be leaders who are balanced in in our views of ourselves. We are to think accurately about ourselves, neither too high or too low. We need to acknowledge that we are good at and what we can do because that's what makes us special. Let me ask you a question. Are you honest with yourself? Are you rigorously accurate in the way you think about your skills, your abilities, your relationships? Are you in touch with the reality of your effect on people? Are you honest about the things you're actually good at and not the things you just want to be good at? Paul says we need sober judgment. And I think some of us, including me, need to be sober sometimes. We need to be in touch with reality. We need to take an honest and accurate look at ourselves in the mirror. Not just who we hope to be in two years, but who we are now. And not just the wrinkles or the the age spots. We're, We're supposed to look in the mirror and see deep. Who are we today? Self evaluation is needed to understand the core gifts God has given you so you can move in these gifts. You can use these gifts. At work, I have the privilege of leading a pretty large team of scientists, um, as Chris said, at all sorts of different stages in their careers. And to be honest, sometimes it's really hard for me to know how to lead people in their professional and personal development. I'll sit across from them in a one-on-one and ask probing questions about what they want for their careers and what kind of goals they want to set. And honestly, a lot of people just don't know. They don't know their strengths. They don't know their weaknesses. They don't know what they enjoy doing every day. And as a leader, someone that wants the best for them, it puts me in a tough spot. I struggle to know how to help them flourish. And I also, I think I know what to do if I were them. I know what I think their strengths are. But I have to be careful of not projecting what I would do in their place. They are not me. But something that makes it even harder is that some of their peers have done the hard work of self-evaluation. 
They know their strengths. They know their gifts. They know how I can help them. They know how I can lead them. And they have vision for their lives. And it's so easy for me to push open doors for people that know what doors they want pushed open. And a vision may seem unrealistic at times, you know? But you can't move towards something without knowing where you're going. And I've noticed over the years that the people that sit across from me that are most clear about their gifts and they're clearest about how to apply them, they have found their sweet spot. They know how to look for the sweet spot. And it's a beautiful thing that leads to a successful personal and personal development, personal and professional development. And it often leads to a thriving career. You see, to start from a place of sober judgment, you will be able to accurately discern yourself and take inventory of what you do best. And to be a leader worth following, you have to know and operate in your gifts. God has given you gifts. You need to know them. You need to use them. And as a leader in corporate America, I want you to know that on a practical level, your boss can help you partially uncover your gifts a little bit. But in all reality, you need to do the hard work of figuring out what those are and bring those to work so they can be used for the flourishment of your development. The same goes for your relationships. Your friends can weigh in and they can tell you what they think. But you've got to do the hard work of uncovering and confirming what your gifts may be. So how do you go about understanding your gifts? For some of you, you may already know and be well aware. Um, But the rest of you, there's a few simple ways we can help deepen your understanding of how God has made you. I encourage people, obviously, to start by praying and asking God, like, hey, God, like, what are my gifts? Show them to me. I want them to be used for good. And as you pray and talk to God, I encourage you to do some personal evaluation to uncover what you might already know. Consider asking yourself questions like, what tasks do you find natural or effortless but seem daunting to others? What environments do you look forward to working in? In what situations do people consider you to be the go-to person? What are your favorite parts about your current job? If you could focus more attention on one or two aspects of your job, what would they be? What do you like to do? Let's be real. You can't aim for a target you haven't identified. In Pack City, what would it look like if each of us took the time and identified some targets that are unique to each of us? One of the most stunning things you could ever discover about God is that you have not You do not have to become somebody you're not, something you're else, for God to use you. God wants to empower the gifts that some of them lay dormant inside of you. Some of those gifts won't come alive until you ask. And going back to the passage in Romans 12, 4 through 8, we read, For each of us, for for just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. 
If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, the Apostle Paul is destroying the myth that Christianity is just a private, personal matter. Just you and God. Just me and God. But Paul is making sure we understand that to be a Christian is to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. In verse 5, we read that we are in Christ. The Apostle Paul is urging his followers, the followers of Jesus, that are connected to Christ the same way um, an arm is connected to a body or a branch is connected to a tree. This personal relationship with Christ is a distinctive mark of his followers. I love how Paul uses the image of the body to remind us that we are connected. And as we know, a well-functioning body inherently understands that it's each part is needed. Just play out the metaphor with me. You know I love a good metaphor. If you're a member of a body, a finger, an ear, an eye, a kidney, your survival is tied to being connected to the rest of the body. Without the flow of the nerves and the blood and the hormones of the body, you're going to wither. You're going to die. And Paul is saying that we are not meant to be our own little detached body parts. No. We are not meant to live as little islands separate from everyone else. To be a leader worth following, we have to remember we need each other. We, we were created to work together, to be together. We are dependent and in need of one another. This interdependence is, is not a weakness, no. It's actually what makes us stronger, because that's who we were meant to be. The great part about this is, is you don't have to be something you're not. I don't have to be a basketball player. I don't have to, you know, have skills that don't come naturally to me. Nobody expects a hand to see or legs to think. So in the community of Jesus, we get to be ourselves. And we get to depend on other people to be themselves and bring everybody to a better level. Some of you are gifted at sharing your faith. And some of you aren't. Some of you are extraordinarily gifted communicators. And some of us aren't. And some of us are gifted prophetically, and some of us aren't. And it's okay. The point is that on our own, all of the functions can't be in full operation. But if we work together, we all together have everything we need. Jesus designed us so that we are individually and wonderfully made. And we need each other. I need you. You need me. The Golden State Warriors need Steph Curry. Problems occur, however, when leaders do one of two things. First, leaders experience problems when they think they can do it on their own. And second, leaders experience problems when they step away from their core beliefs. And these are two things that are connected. Take this church, for example. We've been around for about six months now, and Pacific City Church has been built in a way such that no one leader should ever have to serve towards the vision of the church on their own. In fact, nobody should ever think they could do something like this on their own. One of our values here is working together and being together because we want everyone to get to play to use their gifts. At our Welcome to Church lunch, which if you want to go after the service, totally check it out. It's really great. We actually say everyone is a minister. Every task is important. And everybody is a 10 
in some area. Let me give you an example. My husband, and I love that I get to talk about him. Um, My husband is a 10 in the fun department. He throws great parties. He's a great host. He creates fun ideas. He's generous. He's wild. He's everything that makes a party fun. He's always down to have a good time, make some jokes, and laugh. Our house is full of laughter. But this gift has been used in powerful ways to impact the church and people's lives. Now, on the other hand, my husband is not so strong at working with his hands or home improvement, like, at all. And, uh, like, he once tried to fix something in the attic, and I don't know why he thought, I'll, yeah, I'll just crawl up into the attic and take care of something. Like, no. Um, so, long story short, he had a misstep, and he basically almost fell through the ceiling into the bedroom. And, of course, where he was working in the attic was, like, right above our bed. So, at least if he would have fallen through the floor, he would have landed safely. But for the next, like, few months when we were saving to have this giant hole fixed in our ceiling, every night when I would fall asleep, all I would see is this, like, giant hole in the ceiling right above my bed. It was, like, a fantastic reminder. And, like, and I, I'm, I'm sure... As far as I know, um, my husband has been fired from every painting job he's ever volunteered for. The key word being volunteered. Like, who gets fired from a volunteer painting job? He does. And it's not for his lack of trying. It's really not. He really is trying to help. He's just really bad at it. So (laughs) So why would he, honestly, why would he devote all of his time to becoming a better craftsman? to serve the church and our family, when he should probably just throw really fun events and be himself. His personality and his gift set is best used when he does what he's best at, bringing people together to build community. He can bring people together that build community that can help me around the house with some tasks. It's great. Nobody wants him to pick up a paintbrush. Nobody. Everybody wants him to pick up a red Solo cup or a Tobo Chico or a drink. Like... They want him to have fun. When we think we can slightly improve on the area we're not great at, we're actually communicating to others that we don't need their gifts and that we can do it better on our own. And when we start to drift to do that, we start to drift away from our core values, our core gifts. This leads me to one of the great fallacies of leadership, the well-rounded leader. Sometimes we assume that great leaders are great at everything. And great leaders are great because they developed their weaknesses into strengths. It's just not true. Great leaders have weaknesses too. But great leaders haven't magically turned their weaknesses into strength. They have made their strengths stronger. Um, A book I have found super helpful is Strength-Based Leadership by Tom Rath and Barry Conchie. So if you haven't done this, you should totally purchase this book. Within this book, you take a quiz, a test that helps you identify some of your strengths. It's really helpful to identify your areas of strengths. When you discover and operate outside of your strengths, you will be stronger, and you will make everyone else around you stronger. You know, and as a leader, it's not only important for you to operate out of your strengths, but but let me ask you a question. I know you probably think a lot about your potential, 
But how often do you think about the potential of others? In the same way that Paul encourages the potential in us, we should pay it forward and encourage the potential we see in others. I love Brené Brown's definition of a leader. She says, a leader is anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and who encourages and who has the courage to develop that potential. Isn't that true? You see, good leaders sit with the people they lead. Employees, friends, families, kids. We lead our kids. And they have real conversations with them about their unique gifts and strengths. And they, and they help them uncover and, and discover some of those strengths. And great leaders find ways for people that they lead to use those gifts. A good leader is aware of his or her potential. But a great leader seeks to find the potential of the people around them and lift them up. So this leads me to my last point. To be a leader worth following, we need to encourage the potential we see in others. Here's how we do that. We say, hey, Kate, I, I hear you're really good, or I've seen your really good community group discussion leader. You should do that more often. We say, hey, um, Sh- Shannon, I, I see you're really great working with kids. Have you ever thought about becoming a teacher or serving with our Pack City kids? Or like you, you say to people, hey, I think you're really great at leading people. You've got a gift. You should keep going. When you and I encourage the potential in others, we are positioning people to take action, to live in their gifts, and to make the world a better place. And isn't that what we want? So, Paxity, let me just say to you, if you're an amazing teacher, do what only you can do. Teach, and teach well. If you're a generous person and love to give financially, do what only you can do. Give away what you have. Give away your money. Give away your time. If you're an encourager, don't withhold. Do what only you can do. Encourage more people. And if you're a three-point shooter, like don't play in the paint. Do what only you can do. Hit those threes. 